You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Stakeholders in the hospitality industry are likely raising a glass tonight as pickets came down at BC Liquor Distribution Centers today. Talks are continuing. The BC General Employees Union says it's standing down on its job action for now as a show of good faith. Aaron MacArthur is live with more tonight. Aaron, sounds like they might be close to a tentative deal. Yeah, Sophie, no deal yet, but they must be close. The BCGEU standing down its job action is something they weren't willing to do last week when talks restarted. The picket lines are coming down at the warehouse in Delta. The BC Government Employees Union indicating enough progress has been made at the table that the job action has been suspended. A tense negotiation looks like it's coming to an end. And after some speculation that talks were breaking down, the union issuing a short statement Tuesday, which reads in part, the committee returned to the bargaining table with the BC Public Service Agency last Thursday and has made significant progress. The two sides will continue to meet throughout the week, hoping to finalize a tentative agreement. The union's overtime ban has ended, effective immediately, and preparations are underway to stand down picket lines at BC liquor distribution branch locations. While the communication blackout continues, Based on a briefing Tuesday morning, Premier John Horgan is confident a deal can be reached which will have long-range consequences for the public sector. This will be the beginning of uh, a template for further negotiations with other critical employees uh, that service uh, British Columbians, nurses, uh, teachers, uh, support staff, all of the other public sector workers that are so important to us. While the job action is over for now, the purchase limits empty store shelves and distribution challenges for restaurants and pubs may take a while to sort out. The organization representing pubs and bars says it could be weeks to deal with the backlog. Places that are low on inventory are not going to instantly or magically get their inventory replenished. Uh, the trouble now is going to be we'll have 9,000 licensed locations across BC. They're all waiting to hit send on their orders to get them distributed. While there is still work to do to finalize a settlement, for the first time since the BCGEU voted to escalate job action, there appears to be a solution in sight. Now, the two sides have said nothing since they got back to the table on Thursday, media blackout, but the Premier did let a few details slip, it seems, this morning, saying the items still on the table are non-financial in nature. Now, that doesn't mean the money has been sorted out, but if, if that money piece has been dealt with, that's huge because that was certainly the big ticket item when the BCGU voted to walk off the job. Sophie. All right, we'll see what happens from here. Aaron, thank you. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now for more on this. Keith, the news comes on the same day the provincial government's books show the BC economy roaring back to life last year. Yeah, last year, extraordinary situation. When the budget last year was put together in February 2021, we were in the middle of, the, of a really downturn of COVID and the pandemic, and the economy was cratering. And so doom and gloom was the call of, of the day. But the release of the public accounts today tells a completely different story and shows how well BC's economy did last year. First of all, uh, instead of a deficit, a $1.3 billion surplus was achieved instead of the $9.7 billion deficit that was forecasted. The reason? Huge 
huge uptick in revenues, more than $13.5 billion, primarily people spending money at record levels. Also, spending was up, but that revenue uh, increase covered the spending of more than $3.5 billion over forecast, and a whopping 6.2% economic growth for the province, the second highest in all of Canada. Numbers like this we just haven't seen uh, for quite some time. Finance Minister Selena Robinson today saying, wait a minute, that was then, this is now. It's not like that $1.3 billion is available to spend because the surplus from last year is basically put against the debt and we're in a different situation economically right now. Here's the minister. I think that people understand that what we're talking about is an operating surplus, not a cash surplus. So um, what it means is that uh, we actually got in more revenues than we were expecting, but we also spent more than we were expecting. And it just means that we have to borrow less. So it's not like there's, you know, a truckload of cash out the back of the legislative buildings that we didn't spend. It just means that we need to borrow less. Those comments likely aimed at the public sector union uh, negotiators still at the negotiating table again point out that was last year's uh, fiscal year, not the same situation this fiscal year. We'll get an update on our current situation in a couple of weeks with the release of the first uh, quarterly report. But with inflation going upwards, that's probably mean people are spending less money now. And that's probably paint a less rosy picture for the current state of the economy in B.C. All right, thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Well, the union for 911 call takers says ecom's dire staffing shortage could become even more challenging. The operators were given a temporary boost in pay for overtime and weekend shifts this summer to help offset their added stress. But that incentive is about to expire. And as Grace Key reports, the union says without an extension, the situation could get worse. 911, please fire ambulance. The stress of mandatory overtime takes a toll on 911 operators. In anticipation of a busy summer, compensation and additional psychological support is available, but set to expire September 21st. That's something that we are currently assessing to determine, you know, what needs to be extended, should there be extensions, and on top of that, which of these initiatives that we launched over the summer have had the most impact on our staff, and therefore which are the most beneficial for us to continue. Really, the solution hiring more people but what we're finding is that we're hiring over a hundred people a year they just aren't staying that's what the critical problem is they're leaving for other organizations sometimes other 911 operations that either pay significantly better or have a more manageable workload okay he said he had a knife but you didn't physically see a knife ecom says since the beginning of june we have issued 13 notices of forced overtime which have resulted in 9.5 shifts being covered in this manner all of which have been compensated in accordance with our collective agreement. Ecom says it's hired more than 60 call takers this year, offering mentorship programs and eliminating wait periods for benefits. They acknowledge their dedicated staff and recognize the over-reliance on overtime hours is not sustainable and a permanent solution is needed. Ecom is funded directly by our users. So that is, you know, our police and fire um, dispatch partners. That's by the regional districts that contract us for 911 services for 99% of the province. Um, those conversations are ongoing with both parties um, conversations with the provincial government as well to ensure that we are being appropriately funded, that we have the resourcing in place so that we can meet the increased demand on 911 services. It's a complicated funding formula that just isn't able to keep up with the inflationary realities of uh, 911 services. If we're seeing a 20% increase year over year and the funding isn't keeping up, that's one of the key problems. The union says if changes aren't made soon, burnout will continue on an emergency service where seconds count. Grace Key, Global News. 
A man in his 50s has been arrested after allegedly assaulting and committing indecent acts against three women in downtown Vancouver. Just before 8 a.m. yesterday, police say a man exposed himself to a woman walking near Georgia and Hamilton. She called 911 while running into traffic to escape the man who allegedly grabbed a second woman's leg before chasing a third woman into an office tower. Andrew Jack Kim is charged with assault with a weapon and committing an indecent act. He remains in custody. One thing that we do ask people, call 911 when you see something happening. Taking your phone out and recording it and assuming other people are calling 911, that doesn't help anybody. So get on the phone with 911, describe to our officers what's happening, and we can get there and try to take control of the situation. Police are asking any additional victims to come forward. Police have made an arrest in a shooting death in Surrey back in May. After a three-month investigation, the integrated homicide investigation team took Bradley Minchin into custody with the help of the VPD. He's charged with second-degree murder. Michael Brown was found shot in the 13700 block of Grosvenor Road and died in hospital four days later. IHIT is still looking for more witnesses, and anyone with information is asked to give them a call. We are learning more about yesterday morning's fiery crash on the Coquihalla that left one man dead. Police say at around 6 a.m., a slow-moving semi was struck by another semi in the southbound lanes of Highway 5 near Comstock, just south of Merritt. The second rig caught fire in the crash. The driver, a man from Winnipeg, was trapped and died. His co-driver was able to escape, but not before sustaining life-threatening injuries. The driver of the other truck was not hurt. The Coquihalla was closed in both directions for two hours. Well, the Karameas Creek wildfire burning just outside of Penticton is now classified as being held. But as Global's Tay of Fast is learning, crews battling that fire had to stop their aerial operations twice this week due to dangerous activity. The Karameas Creek wildfire burning just outside of Penticton looks a lot different now than it did just a few weeks ago. Earlier in the fire, um, a few weeks ago, we were seeing uh, more aggressive fire behavior, what we consider rank five, six, um, which means, you know, there's candling of trees, there's a steady flame front, moderate to high spread of fire. Um, and over the last couple weeks, we've been seeing lower fire activity. The wildfire is significantly smaller and now estimated at approximately 7,000 hectares in size. The Karameas Creek wildfire is currently classified as being held, meaning wildfire is not likely to spread beyond predetermined boundaries under the prevailing conditions. 78 firefighters are working to contain hotspots with support from three helicopters. Crews are using a combination of direct attack, wet lining, and patrol to extinguish, extinguish or remove any remaining fuels within the fire's perimeter. However, crews say they had to halt aerial operations twice on Monday due to unauthorized drones in the area. The presence of drones on the wildfire resulted in a complete shutdown of our aerial firefighting resources for about two hours due to safety concerns. BC Wildfire Service says this kind of activity is extremely dangerous and puts crews at serious risk. If there was a collision with a drone, it could be deadly. So. There is a zero tolerance policy for drones on active wildfire areas. Meanwhile, over the next five days, operations will be downsized as fire activity continues to decrease. By next week, the camp located in Oliver will be demobilized and resource numbers, including our ground personnel and helicopters, will be reduced. Um, we will have resources on standby as needed, but 
for now, they will be looking at a reduction for next week. Although summer is coming to an end, BC Wildfire Service says fire season isn't over yet. They're asking the public to stay vigilant and report any suspected wildfires. TFS Global News. On another heat wave is upon us. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us with more on that and some records today, Yvonne. Yeah, and the hot spot across the province and country is Lytton today, getting up to 39.1. These are unofficial numbers, but just to give you an idea of the heat that we're tracking, old record back in 2016. Kamloops getting up to 36 degrees, Port Alberni, Whistler, and even areas near West Van getting up to 31.1. So a hot one today. It'll be quite similar as we get in towards tomorrow. This ridge will continue to build across the province. Most areas along the south coast. It'll moderate slightly as we get towards the end of the week, but we're still tracking those temperatures soaring in towards the interior for Friday. Temperature trend, we can see that for Metro Vancouver, so be prepared tomorrow, even away from the water. The humidex will feel closer to 36 degrees in areas in towards the interior. Hanging on to that heat, a few spots upper 30s will take us in towards our Friday. It's hot and dry. Fire danger rating also sitting at high to extreme. We do have some instability for a few spots in the southern interior tomorrow with the risk of thunderstorms. I'll have more coming up very shortly. So sounds good. Thanks, Yvonne. A Richmond father is speaking out tonight after his daughter was targeted in a frightening incident swarmed at a local dog park by a group of other teens almost two weeks ago. Now he's frustrated with the lack of consequences so far. Next on the news hour. Less is more healthy, that is. The new recommendations on how much alcohol we can be drinking before it can lead to a host of health issues. That's later. Plus. But I realized that there's, there were two things I wanted to do that I hadn't done. You're never too old to check something off your bucket list. Later tonight, Jerry's big adventure and the team helping her reach her dreams. Right now, though, the father of a teenage girl who narrowly escaped a swarming attack in Richmond is speaking out tonight. The father, who doesn't want his last name used to protect his daughter, says she called him during her terrifying ordeal. Romina Dea reports. Jeff says his 14-year-old daughter was lured to Garden City Park over social media nonsense. The teen alone when she was swarmed. They had her on the inside of the dog park as they taunted and bullying with slurs of racial and just unbelievable wording from what I was told directed at her. And then someone said go and they went after her. The victim told me she thought the attackers were her friends. A good Samaritan heard the victim's screams. She told Global News she saw the teen getting chased by 10 to 15 boys and girls. She, her 13-year-old daughter, along with another mother and her kids, made a wall around the victim to protect her. They were like reaching over us, trying to grab her hair, trying to punch her, screaming, yelling. They had no regard. And 911 was on the phone the whole time. And I'm screaming at 911, like, you need to get here, tell them where to go, how many kids there are. We are concealing the witness's identity because she is terrified for her safety. She told us someone spit in her face and shot her dog with a pellet gun. The victim's father says five people were arrested, but everyone's been released. Are we doing youth justice or an injustice? Because it's all it is is a revolving door to say, hey, go do your crime again. 
The terrifying incident went down on August 18th. For two days now, we've been trying to get answers from Richmond RCMP. They contacted us late in the day, telling us that they're still investigating. They'll have more information on Wednesday. They are asking for witnesses to come forward. Romina Dea, Global News. North Vancouver RCMP now confirmed they are investigating a report of a possible racially motivated incident, which we told you about on Monday. This is my country. I'm not, I don't have a country yeah, to go back to. This is my country too. This is my country. Edward Herr, the owner of Nobu Sushi in Edgemont Village, claims when he asked a woman to stop her dog from peeing at his front door last Friday, she hurled racial insults at him and spat on him twice. A witness confirmed his account. North Vancouver RCMP now say they're investigating the incident as a possible hate-motivated crime and are asking the public for any information about the suspect. Abbotsford police are investigating the discovery of a meth lab in a residential neighborhood. Members of the integrated emergency response team helped execute a search warrant at a home in the 2300 block of Hemlock Street on August 23rd. Several kilograms of opioids and methamphetamine were found inside the clandestine lab. Police were also concerned to find numerous children living in the home. The house has now been boarded up while city inspectors determine if it's safe to live there. No arrests have been made and no charges have been laid. Up next, a pivotal figure on the world stage, remembering Mikhail Gorbachev, last leader of the USSR. Plus, 25 residents who live in this building can't leave their units to go get food. So that is the difference between life and death for them. Food uncertainty, seniors in need left wondering where their next meals are coming from. Traffic is steady at the Burrard Street Bridge once again after clearing lots of earlier congestion. The Granville Street Bridge is a good choice in and out of downtown, but not the Canby Street Bridge. Southbound traffic is backed up from before mid-span to the lights at Broadway. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trishy Wissin in the Global Traffic Center. Mikhail Gorbachev, the former president of the Soviet Union, has died. Gorbachev is credited with ending the Cold War without bloodshed, but also failed to prevent the collapse of the Soviet Union. His policies of glasnost, free speech, and introducing limited political and economic freedoms were praised, but eventually led to the end of the Soviet Union and a plunge in the standard of living for many Russians. He had been largely consigned to political oblivion late in life. Gorbachev was 91 years old. And Gorbachev made at least two high-profile appearances in Vancouver over the years. One of the first in 1993, just two years after his resignation as Soviet president. More than a thousand people paying $225 apiece to hear him speak. And in 2011, Gorbachev made an appearance at that year's We Day in Vancouver, speaking to an audience of young people who hadn't been born when he was the Soviet president. Well, three weeks after Park Board Commissioner John Cooper dropped out of the race to become Vancouver's next mayor, the nonpartisan association has named a replacement. Retired West Vancouver police officer Fred Harding is now running for mayor under the NPA banner. And on day one of his campaign, his priority was clear. Imadagahi reports. I'm looking forward to restoring safety 
The word safety was used 11 times in less than five minutes during the opening speech by the latest candidate for Vancouver mayor. I'm running to be mayor because I believe we need to restore safety, affordability and stability to our city. Would you mind getting on the phone this afternoon to the premier of the province? Fred Harding stepping up to the purple-colored MPA podium to announce another attempt into municipal politics. The administration that people have chosen now, it's led us into chaos and it's led us into disaster. Nine days before the cutoff, Harding now becomes the second mayoral candidate the MPA has put forward leading up to this fall. Replacing recent dropout John Cooper, who after a controversial start of his own, had his run cut short this month. We haven't really heard much from Fred Harding over the past four years. Harding ran for mayor of Vancouver four years ago under a party named Vancouver First, but struggled for votes and support, particularly after a controversial anti-Soji stance in his 2018 platform. With Soji, they got it all wrong. Harding now also tasked with restoring his party back to relevancy. Since its last successful mayor, its candidates have seen a declining percentage of total votes. I have never given up my residency of BC, ever. Do you actually live in Vancouver? Of course I do, yeah. There are also many questions about his connection to the city after having spent much of the past four years in China. Part of the complication for him to connect as the MPA candidate is why do I want this now, a month and a half away from the election, and why do I think I'm the best person? for this if I've been silent on many of the issues that we've been talking about. For Vancouver voters, public safety is not the main focus, and neither is it the second. It's mostly housing. To a lesser extent, it's also property taxes. Now, with his late arrival to an already crowded field, the chips may be stacked against Harding once again. Four years ago, the city wasn't ready for me. Now I'm ready. Emadagahi, Global News. Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart has announced his bid for re-election. In a statement, Stewart says he will be running for a final term. He says his decision is motivated by a number of initiatives, specifically mayors for mental health, which had to be suspended because of the pandemic. He's seeking re-election, he says, in the hope of finishing the work he started and move Coquitlam forward. Also in the race is Adele Gamar, who's set to make a second attempt at becoming Coquitlam mayor. Municipal elections are being held October 15th. A rebuilt elementary school is now open in Port Coquitlam, and the Tri-Cities will soon be home to a new medical, or middle school as well. Premier John Horgan was in the area this morning to announce Irving Elementary is now open. The school will welcome 500 students to the newly rebuilt building in Port Coquitlam, which also includes a neighborhood learning center with a preschool and daycare. The province also announcing a brand new middle elementary school on Burke Mountain for grades 6 to 12 students. And $135 million secondary school that will start as a middle and secondary school with the middle school being built beside it again in collaboration with the uh, Coquitlam Council is very exciting for the people in the region. It's very exciting for the province. When you have partners that are focused on the same issues you are, it's easy to get things done. The new middle secondary school is expected to be ready for students in the 2026 school year. Residents of a veteran's home on Vancouver's downtown east side are worried about how they're going to get their next meals now that an important facility has moved. As Krista Dow reports, for many of them, home delivery is a matter of life or death. I'm going to reach in front of us and pull back as if we're rowing a boat. An afternoon exercise for tenants at the Veterans Memorial Manor. Low-income housing for military veterans 
and seniors at risk of homelessness, seniors like Tino. Since I uh, became blind, they've been very supportive of me. I don't know where I would be with, if I wasn't living here. He's one of 133 tenants here able to live independently with support from staff and from nonprofits like Howay House. We're helping them to come into housing, stabilize out of homelessness. Recently, a local soup kitchen owned by the city of Vancouver, located right next door, has moved a block away. The distance now means home support workers are unable to deliver the meals directly to seniors in need. Normally, actually, home support doesn't deliver their meals. So for them to go up a block and wait in the lineup, 25 residents who live in this building can't leave their units to go get food. So that is the difference between life and death for them. The uncertainty, a big concern for Amber Hoffman, whose father requires additional help with his meals and medication. I'm concerned for them and their well-being. They are elderly 70 years and older. They know the ladies that bring the medications, bring the meals. They have a rapport with them, you know, and, and now going forward, I have no idea what it's going to look like. Since early August, Hallway House has been supplying and delivering food to the building with funding set to end on September 30th. We want to ensure that there's a long-term plan because that, for us, we don't have a long-term funding plan in place. However, if we needed to go back to BC Housing or to the City of Vancouver to ensure that that happens, we will. The City of Vancouver says the new space is not set up for takeout or delivery, but support workers can pick up meals and then transfer them to takeout containers. Ultimately, families say they have just one request. Just feed them. They pay their rent. They deserve better. Just feed them. Krista Dow, Global News. A new report released today presents evidence that BC's most at-risk old-growth forests are still being destroyed at an alarming rate. The study, done by environmental group Stand.Earth and the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, used satellite images to show 55,000 hectares of old-growth forest proposed to be included in the areas deferred from logging are at extreme risk, meaning they are about to be logged are currently being logged or have already been destroyed. The group say it is proof the province's temporary ban on logging these forests has done very little. So the bottom line is that the province is not actually stopping the logging industry from harvesting old growth over the short term. When stopping this logging was precisely the point of the deferrals process. The forests that actually require the province to defer logging are still at immediate risk of being lost. The province is purposely misleading the public regarding the supposed conservation of the old growth. The misinformation from the province is so overwhelming that many of the um, people in BC, those who care about old growth, have to seek out independent reports to really know what's happening. The Ministry of Forests tells Global News 80% of the most at-risk old-growth forests mapped out are not threatened by logging as they are permanently protected, covered by recent deferrals or uneconomic to harvest. They also say the report misleads the public by claiming a significant amount of old growth has been logged, but only 3% of the proposed deferral areas have been harvested since November of last year. Just ahead, sobering new research into the impact of alcohol. The less you drink, basically, is the better. How much is too much and the health risks of having one too many? And after Sunday's debacle at YVR, the airport's warning about the upcoming long weekend. 
problems slowing down traffic on Highway 1 through Burnaby tonight. Crews are on scene to a crash westbound before Kensington in the left lane, and there's a collision eastbound on Highway 1 after Kensington in the HOV lane. Expect significant delays. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, anyone flying out of YVR this long weekend is reminded to pack a lot of patience with them. The airport is recommending passengers arrive early, two hours before domestic flights and three hours for U.S. and international destinations. On Sunday, a shortage of security screeners caused delays and backlogs for thousands of passengers, even those who arrived at those recommended times. Yesterday, the situation was better, but it remained busy. In the lead up to Labor Day, the airport is expecting Sunday to be the busiest travel day, anticipating an estimated 67,000 passengers. ICBC and police forces across the province have launched a new distracted driving crackdown for the month of September. Delta police helping kick off the event this morning, targeting those drivers who just can't put their phones down in slow moving or stopped traffic. And there are a lot of them. A new Ipsos poll found 43% of people in BC admit they are still using their phones once out of every 10 trips. That's up 33% from 2019. Distracted driving tickets will cost you $368 and will add four points to your driving record. If they're having trouble managing their temptation to reach for their device or look at their screen, we're hoping people can start to put their phone into the do not disturb mode so that they're not hearing those, that notification that somebody's trying to get a hold of them. There are other forms of distracted driving, such as eating in the car, actually just not paying attention, grabbing something from the floor mat, grabbing something from the glove box, being able to put on makeup. Those are all forms of distracted driving. And if they're impairing you from being able to keep your full attention to the road, that would be called a distraction and certainly we would take enforcement action on that. ICBC says distracted driving causes 76 traffic deaths per year, which is more than impaired driving and second only to speeding in B.C. A new report says alcohol is not good for your health, even in small amounts. According to the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, drinking more than two drinks a week can increase your risk of stroke, heart disease and cancer. Kylie Stanton has more on the findings. One bottle of Bailey's contains about 10 standard drinks. What used to be on the low end of the recommended amount of alcohol consumed per week. But a new report suggests even small quantities can have a big impact. You know, for people who drink alcohol, less is better when it comes to health. The findings by the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction are meant to update Health Canada's 2011 low-risk drinking guidelines. <laughs> which in retrospect, based on current evidence, were quite liberal. What we've learned since then is that even people drinking within those guidelines would have come to harm or had the potential of, of coming to harm because of increased risk. Researchers have now concluded having two drinks or less each week puts an individual at low risk for health issues. The risks are moderate with three to six drinks and move to high risk when consuming seven drinks or more. This is to help them to situate themselves into this continuum of risk so they can be better informed. And if they choose to decrease the amount that they drink, that's the best advice from a health point of view. 
Roughly 60% of Canadians fall in the no, low or moderate risk categories. But it's the remaining 40% at increasingly high risk that are more likely to be impacted by more than 40 different health conditions, including heart disease, stroke and certain cancers. Women are particularly vulnerable. Alcohol turns into ethanol within your body and it has uh, essentially can damage your cells and your DNA and so that can increase your risk for different cancers and so breast cancer is one of those cancers that it has been shown to increase risk for. Are you having a strong will? The draft of the new guidelines is now undergoing a public comment period. They are set to be finalized by Health Canada at some point this fall. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, a bucket list birthday best birthday ever. They get better all the time. The ultimate gift for her 95th and what she wants to do next. Here we go again. Uh, <laughs> summer just doesn't quit, Yvonne. No, oh, it uh, just continues. And this is a late heat wave in the season, but it is going to continue to be hot. So a heads up what we saw today. It'll be similar for tomorrow. And the heat is going to continue into the southern half of the province, leading in towards our long weekend. If you like the heat, it's gorgeous out there overlooking our tower cam. A few hot spots and areas across the province today with Lytton seeing that record-breaking heat getting up to 39 degrees. Kamloops as well, 36 in areas near Trail today, topping out at 37 and inland for the island, even Port Alberni getting closer to 34 degrees in West Van as well. Factor in the Humidex, that's what we're tracking while seeing it away from the water, closer to 40 degrees. It'll be similar for tomorrow, so be prepared for the heat as well as the Humidex, uh, or rather the UV index will be sitting at high. We have had a different weather picture and story though along the northern half of the province. We've had a significant amount of rain. It's still tapering off, but we'll track it through the day for tomorrow. Still seeing that chance for some showers, but much of the southern half is benefiting from that ridge that continues to build across the province. We do have the heat warning that is in effect still along the south coast, Sunshine Coast. Inland for the island and eastern regions, we'll see those temperatures still into the 30s. It's the overnight lows that give us that heat warning criteria and areas into the Fraser Canyon, rather, with Lytton included within that upper 30s and overnight lows just down to 18 degrees. Smoky Skies Bulletin continues and it remains in effect for the Nicola and Samokamine, where those areas could be impacted by local smoke over the next 24 and 48 hours. Temperature trend for Metro Vancouver, so we'll still track another hot one for tomorrow. Bit of a reprieve as we get in towards the long weekend. The northern half of the province will still see a few showers in the mix. It's inland that's hot and dry. Southern half of the province, though, an area of concern could be the potential for some showers and the risk of thunderstorms with the hot and dry conditions. We're watching that, so please be very diligent with any outdoor activities and areas along the south coast. It remains hot, hot, hot. We've got that heat tomorrow with the Humidex away from the water up to 36, approaching the long weekend a bit more comfortable with 24 underneath a partly cloudy sky. All right, tonight's weather window, a gorgeous shot. This was of the Northern Lights captured at Pressy Lake. So, all right, thanks, Yvonne. Double J in for Squire tonight. Mm -hmm. More Canadians uh, at the U.S. Open, J. Yeah, you've been keeping your eye on it so fast, have we? Dennis Shapovalov playing his first round match at the U.S. Open. And we're also going to roll out the welcome mat for Kyle Turris as he closes the chapter on one part of his hockey career and begins a new one with the Coquitlam Express. All right, thank you, Jay. Coming up, come along for the ride. Very exciting. I just never dreamt that I'd be able to do it. Ticking off a birthday bucket list adventure and who's helping to make it happen later.
All right, let's go to New York. Let's, shall we? <laughs> First class, here we go. Uh, our Canadians went undefeated yesterday at the U.S. Open. Opening day of the uh, final Grand Slam of the season saw Bianca Andreescu, Rebecca Marino, Leila Annie Fernandez all move on to the second round. Felix Oje Alessim also won. Dennis Shapovalov playing his first round match tonight. And it was a dandy. The 19th seed, he was taking on Mark Andrea Hussler, who was making his U.S. Open debut. Chapo started slow in the opening set, had a pair of double faults to drop the opening set, 6-2, but then he comes to life in the second, 4-4 in the second when he hammers the forehand winner down the line. It's a big win for Chapo as he breaks, took the second set, 6-4. This was the battle of the lefties today. Chapo grinding hard in the third, breaks again. Look at the backhand passing winner. Houston can't get to it. Chapo wins the third, 6-4, but Houston won the fourth, 6-3, so they go off to the fifth and deciding set. Chapo took the first game as he held serve and then breaks again to go up two love. This was on triple break point. And then Chapo would serve it out from there. He looked very strong in the final stretch. He's off to the second round. He does it in five sets. Two, six, six, four, six, four, three, six. Women's World Hockey Championship. This was the game we were all waiting to see. Canada, USA, final game of the preliminary round. Canada 3-0, same with the Americans, and our girls jumped out to a quick 2-0 lead. Ella Shelton jumping on the loose puck, fires the backhander, and it was 2-0 after the first. But it was all the Americans following. They responded with five unanswered goals. Lacey Eden, how's that for leaning into the wrist shot? Just wires that upstairs. Canadian women had no answers when it came to slowing the Americans down. Kendall coins Schofield adds an insurance marker. Redirection in front. Americans add an empty netter. 5-2 the final. Canada will play Sweden Thursday in the quarters. BC Hockey League training camps opening up this weekend. Coquitlam Express have a familiar face watching from the stands. Kyle Turris is back home after calling it a career following 776 NHL games. His career now has come full circle as he rejoins the junior team where his career began. Kyle named a special advisor to the general manager and player development coach. Before anyone can tell him to enjoy his days off, Kyle Turris is already clocking in for the Coquitlam Express. It's neat to come back to kind of where I started, you know, with, with the Express organization and the BCHL and I have some great memories and, and you know, the, the team we won with, uh, we're still very close as a group. Turris, the trailer, now, oh, what a beautiful goal by the kid again. The kid from New Westminster helped the Express capture a BCHL championship and the organization's only national championship in 2006. So when Coquitlam Express GM Tally Campbell heard Turris might be in town this season, he had to make the call. Reached out to him and said, are you coaching this year? And uh, he said that, yeah, I'm going to be moved back to North Vancouver, uh, coaching my two young boys. And then a conversation kind of, you know, rolled from there. Uh, first it was, hey, why not come on board as a full-time assistant coach? Uh, you know, pretty busy with, with three young kids and then just freshly out of, out of the NHL. So kind of kept the conversation rolling and then it kind of developed into a special advisor to myself as a GM and a, a player development coach for our players. Prior to being picked third overall by the Phoenix Coyotes in the 2007 NHL draft, Turris was focused on becoming a pro hockey player. Now he has the opportunity to see if the next chapter of his life remains at the rink. I'm kind of feeling my way through right now. I'm, I'm learning. I, I, I really enjoy learning. And um, one side I, I really would, would like to learn is the business side of the game. Um, I feel like I have a, a decent grasp on the hockey side, but the, more of the business side really interests me. 
The 33-year-old racked up 168 goals and 425 points in 776 games, along with 14 goals and 32 points in 69 playoff games. That's a lot of stick-raising sellies, and he can pass that experience on to the next generation. It's a, a different perspective on things being at the end as opposed to the beginning. And, um, I'm thankful for, for every opportunity I've had along the way, and it, it's kind of... Uh, molded me into who I am today and, and excited to have the opportunity to give back. Live Golf announcing more players to its breakaway tour and as suspected world number two and open champion Cameron Smith has jumped ship. He also won the Players Championship this year. Other PGA players include world number 19 Joaquin Neiman, Harold Varnell, uh, Varner, pardon me, Mark Leishman, Cameron Tringale and Interbattle Lahiri. All six are going to tee it up this Friday at the International Tournament outside of Boston. Premier League action today. Chelsea visiting Southampton. Tell you, nobody spent more money this summer than Thomas Tuchel's club. They did get a 23 uh, third-minute goal from Raheem Sterling, but then Southampton takes control. Five minutes after Sterling's goal, it's Romeo Lavia with his first ever in the Premier League as he converts the corner. And then just before the half is out, Adam Armstrong. Not sure if there's any relation to Jordan there. We'll find out later. Johnny on the spot. Southampton take down Chelsea 2-1. We can also tell you that the Blue Jays right now are beating the Chicago Cubs so 5-3. Okay, thank you, Devil. Uh, up next, a BC woman shows us how to celebrate a birthday for the 95th time in high-flying fashion. Stay with us. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, tonight a shocking example of bad driving. You'll hear about the motorist who police say might have been distracted by four different electronic devices when they ended up in oncoming traffic in downtown Vancouver. Plus, 50 years ago tonight, BC's Rosemary Brown made history, becoming the first black woman elected to a provincial legislature in Canada. Tonight, we hear from Brown's daughter. She'll tell us about her mom's legacy and how it's inspired her to launch a political bid of her own half a century later. These stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie. Looking forward to that. Thank you, Jordan. Well, many people have a bucket list, the things you want to do and see at some point in your life, but checking them off can be challenging. A West Vancouver woman is doing an admirable job of getting through her list, hitting her second uh, to, uh, her second to last to-do item on her 95th birthday. Jada Rant has more in This Is BC. All right, let's go. Big plans with two good friends for her birthday. Watch your head. Jack and Billy, neighbors at the retirement residence, got the invite. Thank you. I said, sure, <laughs> right away. Others politely declined. They were all scared. <laughs> Jerry Ryan marked her 95th birthday by taking her first helicopter flight, ticking off one of the final experiences on her bucket list. I realized that there's, there were two things I wanted to do that I hadn't done yet. One by one, she's taken on these adventures. She's biked around France and Germany, sailed the waters of Haida Gwaii, and rode a camel in Petra. But she wasn't so sure this ride would ever happen. I just never dreamt that I'd be able to do it. You don't make too many plans at this stage. <laughs> Staff at Hollyburn House do their best to ensure residents get to try new experiences, whatever they're into. We're trying to shake it up and get them to enjoy different, uh, different kinds of things other than the conventional stuff. A lot of people don't think that people who are 95 can keep doing new things and challenging themselves. But as you can see from today, obviously they can. 
They flew over the Capilano Valley and the legendary Twin Sisters, the Lions Peaks, which was a big moment for Jack. Years ago, I climbed the West uh, Lion, but I got within 100 feet of the top and I couldn't, I couldn't get the rest of the way. And I've always wanted to see the top of it, so I sort of saw it today. Jerry's list isn't exactly complete. There's still one more to go. Riding on an elephant. When's that going to happen? I don't know. I haven't got much time left. <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to ride elephants anymore. I feel like it's not even <laughs> a thing that you can do. Which means she has an opening slot now to try and find a way to top this. Maybe when she turns 96. Best birthday ever. They get better all the time. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And happy birthday, Jerry. Uh, do you guys have bucket lists? Uh, oh, yeah. There's a couple. Oh, really? Yeah, so if I just, yeah. Maybe Can skydiving, maybe skydiving. Oh, you haven't done it? No, I haven't. Okay, you got to do it. You? You've done it? I've done it, yeah. Jay? And Jay? Uh, I will not be jumping out of a plane, uh, <laughs> but I'd love to play Augusta National. Oh, that's a good uh, one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Stay All on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, final word on weather, Yvonne. Another hot one for tomorrow. The heat will continue in towards the interior as we approach our long weekend. So far, it's dry over the next little while, too. All right. That's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us tonight. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.